Hi, I'm Tyler Yules. Welcome to How the Grades Do It. Super excited today. You know, we have Pear Corot. He's Excel's executive for the last 10, uh, over 10 years, and super excited to have him on the podcast, How the Grades Do It. We're excited to hear from you. Appreciate you jumping on with us. Well, thank you so much, Tyler. I appreciate Absolutely. it. It's uh, wonderful to be on here this morning. Absolutely. Man, well, I'd love for you just to kind of give us a, a high-level review of uh, what you've been doing recently. And, um, man, we're excited to hear from you. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, so the last couple of years have been really interesting. Um, I've traditionally been in sales and sales management uh, and on and and then I dip my toe into marketing. I dip my toe into partnership. Um, I, I find all aspects of the sales process interesting. So I've been really fortunate in my career where people have said, "Hey, would you like to do this? This this seems like something you'd be good at." Um, and so I go off and do that for a little bit, and then you know get them all situated and go off. So my my background is um, I've. I have a degree in film and video from UC San Diego. <laughs> uh, I, uh, as as many people with a art degree, I discovered early on that uh, it does not pay that well. Yeah. I don't know if you're aware of this, but being an artist, uh, there is a reason for the starving bits, <laughs> a starving artist. Um, and I, I really didn't like that idea. Uh, I, my, I, I remember my first job offer was at CBS uh, in New York. I was going to take over for Andy Cohen, who had been my boss at CBS this morning. And they're like, it pays $22,000 a year. And I looked at my buddy who was offering me the job, and I'm like, dude, are you drunk? <laughs> How do I live like $22,000 a year? Like, it was 93 or 91, and it was still just ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so um, I, I've been really fortunate. Uh, I, I, I did different types of sales, and it, it kind of came naturally to me. Uh, my my joke has always been to people who ask me about going into sales is you have to have that personality where you can walk into a bar and go towards the, you know, gender of your choice and say, uh, hey, how's it going? Yeah. And then have them tell you to go, you know, expletive yourself in the most egregious manner and go, okay, awesome. Yeah. Thank you. You have a great evening. And then go and to then like shoot a the shot second again. most attractive yeah, person. Yeah, do, do it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, 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 you know, the, it kind of, co it, it, it's hard to understand that if you're, if you're not in sales, but like you, you encounter people on a really bad day, man, you're going to hear some stuff. Yeah. And I, you know, I've been told to go, you know, explode with myself many, many times. And you just kind of got to go, you know what, I'm going to take a walk around the block, going to reset, and then I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to do it all over again. Um, and, and, and if you don't have that, that kind of, tough skin personality, you're just going to get chewed up, yeah. right? Um, so when I have people who are younger come to me and say, like, I really think I should be good at sales, once in a while I go, yeah, I think you'd be awesome. I think you'd be amazing because you have that tenacious manner. And then other people have just said, yeah, I got to be honest with you, marketing <laughs> may be your calling. Like, <laughs> you make like and there's nothing wrong with that. Marketers do really important work in our worlds, and we can talk about that some more. So anyway, so uh, I, I ended up uh, working for um, my first dot com was in '99. We were doing video on demand. Um, I got the job because in college I asked a professor a question about whether you could broadcast a video signal over a telephone line, 
Uh, he was one of the guys who invented the, the punch card. And he came back and he told me the configuration of it. And then it was like 10 years later, I was in a meeting and somebody says, have you ever heard about video over the internet? And I was like, well, yeah, of course you need this configuration. And, and, and the guy was like, holy crap, you're a genius. And I was like, no, I just remembered what a professor told yeah. me 10 years ago. Uh, and, and, and I got the job and it, it was, um, I was primarily doing marketing and we, we raised some money and we showed the first movie over the internet and nobody cared. Um, and then uh, compression algorithms were great. I did really well with that. And then Microsoft just kind of came in and ate our lunch. So we, we all went off and found other jobs. And I happened to have been at a trade show where I was sitting next to two guys, uh, Luis Rivera and, and um, uh, Dave Mitzel. And, um, and we had this conversation and they, they were explaining email marketing. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then the whole thing with Microsoft happened and I happened to get an interview and I went into a company and they're like, what do you know about email marketing? I was like, well, here's what yeah. I know. And I just regurgitated that information. Like, You're a genius. You're hired. Um, and I was the 15th employee at an email company called Email Labs. Uh, we were funny enough acquired by Lyris, which was Luis Rivera's uh, company um, a couple years later. And I went to go work for him and uh, I had a really nice run there as both a salesperson and uh, a sales leader and the the difference in my mind has never really been that big of a deal because whenever i was in sales i always tried to help everybody else so if you had account man you know you had bdrs coming in you had the, the marketing team coming in and you're like we need to be this cohesive whole and it's not me being you know, the guy who gets paid the most money because they're bringing in these deals, it's got to be, everyone's got to be making money and everyone's got to feel part of this, mm -hmm. this process and everyone has to get acknowledged. Um, and so we did a really good job there for a while. And, and you know, we had some challenges with management uh, in a later iteration of the company. And then I left, I went to another company for like a hot minute and then went to Silverpop. And I was really fortunate at Silverpop that the leadership said, we have a couple of ideas and we think you could slot in here. And one of those was creating an agency group and the agency group, I had to hire and train six people uh, to be able to do email marketing. Uh, I don't think any of them had done email marketing sales uh, until that point. They were all salespeople, um, pretty much job. account management people. Yeah, but it was it was really nice because I was like I ha we had a we had a, a focus and so we had to create a sales um, an entire in my mind I had to create an entire sales methodology because at that point Silver Pop did didn't really have one and I, I don't want to be fair to the the other teams there but um, when I asked them what they were doing it was kind of old school sales like pick up the phone and call and I was like great how many times and they're like what. I'm like, how many times should a sales rep pick up the phone every week? And I'm like, I don't know, as many as they need to. Uh, so I, I kind of went back and I, I went through Salesforce and I, I did some analysis and I came up with some equations based on the number of initial phone calls, phone calls or correspondence, right. right? Because we had that shift from being able to make a phone call to email. Uh, and, and that now we're, you know, hitting people on LinkedIn and doing whatever we can trying to get past all their filters. But back then you could still pick up the phone and call somebody. Um, and then how many of those phone calls converted into first time meetings and first time meetings, the second time meetings, demos, and then how many you send a proposal, proposal to contract, contract to close, yeah. right? 
And so by coming up with some metrics there, um, I was able to use those for my team and my team did really well. And part of it was they were all really good people. I was fortunate in my hires. Uh, the second was the first thing I said was in six weeks, you should be able to demo to me. And if not, you're fired. Um, and everyone was great. Like, and in my mind, sales engineers are fantastic, but too many salespeople rely on them, right? You should be able to have, you should be able to pick up a phone, have your disco call. And when somebody goes, dude, I just need to see if you can do X, Y, and Z that you are smart enough to be able to say, well, hang on, let me open up my demo account and I'm going to show you a couple of things and bear in mind, I'm, I'm, I'm just a, I'm just a humble little sales guy, right? I don't, I'm so dumb, right? Yeah. I'm amazed I got up this morning and remembered to brush my teeth um, and, and then show the, the solution. And, and then the person comes out going, holy crap, that sales rep was able to use it. That must be easy, yeah. right? It was such a, an easy transition because we were selling uh, into agencies and agencies um, are people whose day-to-day existence is going from one burning fire to another, <laughs> right? It's in an agency world, you, you kind of go, you know, in the ideal world, we go, okay, well, here's our two-year forecast and we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And then some executive says something stupid and suddenly you're, you're, you're doing all hands on deck because of this or a tweet goes out and it's like you somebody didn't realize what that word meant right. and you suddenly you know, you're doing damage control. Um, and, and that's the reality of my wife and I have a really good girlfriend uh, that was one of my wife's college roommates. And she comes and stays with us for a couple of weeks at a time. Um, and, and she works for an agency and, and she's constantly, it's, it's eight o'clock at night. We're like, Dina, we're going to eat dinner. Like why don't you come downstairs? Right. Uh, and she's like, you know, no, I got to deal with this thing because you know, this major, uh, soft uh, drink brand that you use when exercising is freaking out about you know it's, it's something or that somebody decided that we need to get sweaters with Serena Williams name on it you know ha- handmade in two weeks you know right. and kind of that's her world and and she's constantly in the middle of just this this nonsense emergency stuff so anyway so we're selling to agencies and and agencies you kind of my my suggestion to the team from the marketing perspective was we need to let as many agencies know we exist and that we have a b c d e f g capabilities and that we can solve their problems if their current vendor goes sideways yeah um and we were really fortunate exact target um god bless them uh, <laughs> salesforce's email tool uh had a really bad crash um on like Tuesday before uh, Thanksgiving and a lot of emails didn't go out and, and suddenly our phones just went from like crickets to being blasted. And the first thing we, I told everyone to say is mistakes happen. Exact targets a really good solution. I'm not going to say anything negative about them, but if this is the last straw, I'm more than happy to explain how we're going to do things different, uh-huh. right? And so we, we, we did really well, and, and that, that team did really well. And when Silverpop was acquired by IBM, I was the first person plucked out of Silverpop and put into the IBM world to go, uh, as I was told at the time, go do what you did at Silverpop over at IBM. And I was like, oh, awesome. I'm like, off and I'm going to take over IBM. Yeah. And I'm going to, you know, and I, I, IBM's... Uh, I had a family friend who decided it would be a really good idea to 
sail a Tonga, which is a, a long, narrow boat, uh, which he jerry-rigged with a sail from Mexico to his family's home in Florida. And he was sailing using a radio, the AM frequency, picking up islands and island hopping his way through the Caribbean. And he had run out of water and he was, he was like, I'm, I'm going to die in this boat. This is so stupid. And a tanker went right by him and he was like, you know, last of his energy flailing around. And, um, and it left, it went over the horizon. He was like, Oh crap, I'm going to die. But of course the tanker takes a long time to turn around. <laughs> so the tanker did eventually go back, pick him up out of the water, bring him home to Florida where his mom promptly yelled at him. Uh, but the, these IBMs, a big, big tanker and it, it, it doesn't turn on a dime. And so it's a very frustrating experience for me because you had a lot of entrenched people at IBM who are really focused on the status quo. And uh, when you come out of dot-com world, the status quo is your enemy. And you, you really need to be able to go in and say, what, what are the problems right now? How do we solve the problems right now? And, and what processes can we put in place to make this more effective? So, we can learn from success and from failure and, and modify our approach. Yeah, I'd, so I'd to, I, I did a lot of before that. Before you move on, yeah, sorry. I'd love to just jump in there. Like, were there cert? I know, right, like you're talking about going from a big organization to a, or from a small one to a big one. Like, I'd love to understand, like, were there any significant turning points or challenges that helped change your approach? Um, right? Because like, it obviously was different. Yeah. So one of the things that Silverpop had done really well was we would do events in individual towns and, and towns, I mean, Salt Lake City and London. Okay. Right? So we were, we were, we were and, and I got looped into that because I feel comfortable standing on a stage. And so one of the things when I got to IBM, I said, we really had a lot of success with these. Like we would go in and you'd meet 20 people in Salt Lake City or 80 people in London. But of those, you you ended up with a pretty decent number of people who converted in two years to Silver Pop. So they, they did really well. Like from a ROI standpoint, it was, it was fantastic. Um, and a lot of companies have kind of picked up that model and really run with it as well. Um, you see a lot of cocktail hours and that kind of thing. So we did that over at, when I got into the, the partner team, one of the things I spearheaded and really pushed was doing events uh, for partnership uh, and an agency partnership. Because it, if you were going in with the folks who were trying to sell to Clorox, Clorox was a silver pop client. And one of the funny things was this, the enterprise team was selling to Clorox. They were about to close the deal. And at the last minute, they got, oh, yeah, we need our agency to approve this. And what ended up happening is the paperwork was signed by the agency, not by Clorox. Uh, so when you do that, you, you end up ha realizing you have the symbiotic relationship and it's kind of a triangular thing with the vendor and then the client and then their agency. And everyone has to kind of get along and agree where the angles are going to fit together. Um, and so we did a lot of uh, event planning stuff and, and going into towns and saying, we're IBM, formerly known as Silver Pop, and let us, you know, give you some crab cakes and cocktails and then explain to you why our email tool is better than your current vendor or why we're more reliable or why we integrate with these other solutions that you require. And, and we would create craft a really compelling message around that 
uh, so that when people came in, they were they at least had a takeaway of there's a company called IBM Silverpop that's going to be able to do my email for me, and they're going to integrate into these five tools. That's awesome. And it wasn't you know people weren't signing contracts over martinis. But six weeks later, two months later, four months later, you get a phone call from somebody and like, I was at your presentation. I really like that. Can you come in and explain to my executive team why we should be moving vendors, right? And that's really what you want. You you simply want to create a flanking motion so that you're, you're seen as being everywhere. And so people kind of encounter you and, and when, when they're out there looking and And, and that's being top of mind is important. Yeah, 100%. Man, I'd love to understand. I know, like, obviously, you've had a lot of different experience in, in kind of multiple different industries. Like, I'd love to understand what you've done to then um, implement, you know, actually, uh, I'd love to understand, like, what how has your approach changed when it comes to, like, different clients or industries since you've, you've done a lot? Sure. Um Somebody said this, and I wish I could quote it. Quote the person. It was. It was. Um, yeah. Anyway, I can't remember who it yeah. is now. Um, uh, but they said, "Speak, speak the language that the the recipient will understand." Right. So if you're talking to a frontline email person in the petroleum business, right, that's a slightly different conversation than when you're talking to an email executive at a CPG company, yeah. right? Because the petroleum guys got a mailing list that's really important to them of 500 people. It's not a lot. Like when you're selling on volume, that's that's not a big sale for you, but it, it's a great brand and whatever, you know, a, a deal's a deal. And if you can say you've got ConocoPhillips as one of your clients, that's, you know, pretty cool. Uh, but if you're talking to somebody like Clorox, Clorox has millions and millions of people that they're emailing to Mm -hmm. in very different ways. And those executives understand it very, very granularly. So you need to be able to kind of shift gears on the fly. And also when you go up the food chain, when you're starting to talk to the person who's actually setting up and sending the emails, you're having a tactical conversation. Like this is the, this is where this button does this thing. And you only have to push one button. You don't have to set four things and then push a button, right? That's a big deal for them. Chief uh, marketing officer doesn't care about that, right? Yeah. You have to know what you're talking (laughs) about. Chief marketing officer cares. Yeah. Right. So it's, it kind of gets into that, but, and it also depends on industry. So you, one of the, the things that I've found professionally, that's done me the the most good is I read, I try and read a lot of different things and I'll, I'll make a plug for the economist magazine. Um, it's thick. It's, <laughs> it's going to sit next to your toilet. You're not going to read the whole thing unless you have some, some bad stuff going on, yeah. but it's a great magazine to read about different industries. So yeah. you have kind of a surface level um, I, I honestly cannot say how many times I've been at a trade show and somebody walks up and they're from Ecuador and they say, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm from Ecuador and blah, blah, blah. Oh, what's going on with that situation X, Y, and Z? Like, one, you know where Ecuador is? <laughs> Two, you, under- you understand that the vice president was assassinated last week? Like, yeah. those are things that on a human connection 
just being well educated as to what's happening in the world is really important. I'm not a sports guy. Like I, I don't watch. <laughs> I watch one game a year. I watch the Super Bowl, and that's because of the wonderful array of snack foods at my friend's house. Oh, right. It. That's that's it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I know enough to know like where the baseball season is and how the football season's kind of going, and just to keep a high level there. Yeah. That's not where my my brain naturally goes. I'm much more interested in, you know, uh, how's Venezuela's oil production doing because for whatever reason that clicks in my brain. Um, but it's important just to have this breadth so that you can speak to different people and just make a, a moment, a moment where they're going to remember. Um, I'm also fortunate in that I'm six foot eight, um, three thirty, So I'm a big person. Yeah. And so when I walk a trade show floor, a lot of people come up to me because they remember me from previously. Yeah. Um, and I unfortunately don't always remember them because I've met so many people, but I, you know, I try and go, you know, really rack my brain. Like uh -huh. where, where did that, where did we intersect before? Um, but for me, that's, that's one of those wonderful things that you, you just got to work with whatever you've got. Um, and so for me, I, I, I don't, I try not to play up it too much, like, because it's annoying, but. Um, you know, you, you kind of work with what you have. No, I love that. If that makes sense. I think, right, like you bring up a good point, right? And there's a few things you have to do when you're trying to connect with people, right? So, find some sort of commonality. And I think you're hitting on that, right? Like find something you can connect with the person on and have, it a com have an intelligent conversation on. Um, but it's also like understanding right. your persona, right? Like when you're speaking to someone in the C-suite, like they don't need to know the ins and outs. They, they want to know, right? Like it's, I used to have, we used to have a saying in financial services is like, do you want to know uh, the time or do you want to know how the clock works? Right. It's like, do you need to know the ins and outs in yeah. my every single move from my playbook from, from step one to step 30? Or do you just want to know like the overall structure of the play and then put it in motion? Like, which one are you? And right. I think, right, like, knowing that, per knowing that, knowing your persona, speaking to that person the way that they want to receive information, that's the key. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 100% agree. Well, I'd love to understand, like, you know, uh, different tools out there. Like, there's so many out there. But I think LinkedIn as being one of the most powerful uh, business tools out there right now, like, how how have your teams used that uh, to generate leads, or like how are they using that to build you know valuable relationships, especially with this remote environment? You're not necessarily running into people day to day anymore. Sure. Um, so I have this argument with my children. Yeah. My my children are eighteen, twenty three, and twenty five, and so the twenty three year old just graduated from college and is looking for work, and he got it fairly early like oh this is the social media platform for my professional world yeah. for my professional persona whereas snap is his preferred social media channel for his friends yeah. um, and my older son who's about to finish law school in december um he and i argue over this because he's like oh yeah people who are on linkedin are you know irritating and blah 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 and it's like <laughs> no it, they're just your friends who've grown up and realize like that the more connections you have the better off you are so convert what you have in snap or uh insta or, or if you're you know they they created facebook accounts when they were 14 and haven't looked at them in 
in a couple of years, but like try and convert some of that stuff because the kids that you went to high school with and college with, they got parents, they got aunts and uncles, they got, yeah. they got, they got a cousin who works at that company that you want to talk to. And they're more than happy to pick up the phone. Like I'm more than, I've gotten calls from a couple of my kids' friends and said, Hey, you know, I'm looking for a job in this field. And I go, I actually have a friend who does that. Let me connect you with them. And they're, they know that field. Let, let them explain it to you. And people have called me and, you know, I've been referred to you because of sales. And can you tell me about sales? And I give them the spiel, right? Uh, because I'm still passionate about the industry. Um, LinkedIn, in my mind, is fantastic. I, I think, here, I'm going to look over at my screen for a second. <laughs> I think I've got like 5,000 people or something yeah. crazy. Uh, 5,254 people on my list. There you profile. go. Um, and, and realistically, uh, like my rule now, and I'm accepting people because my title's fancy, um, is that if I have a connection on the first page with the other person, then I'll accept. Otherwise, yeah, I won't. There you go. Um, or if they're in a really interesting space, and then I go, okay, well, you know that they're kind of they kind of get in on their own merits, um, and, and I have to because otherwise I'd be up at like twelve thousand, and it, it becomes unusable because so many people are using it to. Um, as a new spam channel, right? Like, hey, I really think you would be interested in roofing supplies. Yeah. Why? Why would you think that? Like, what What in my profile indicates that roofing supplies is part of my world? Well, you showed up on a list that you're looking at getting a new roof. Yeah, I, I paid some guys <laughs> to go put on a new roof. I didn't do it myself. Yeah. I'm smarter than that. Uh, it's not my expertise. But, you know, you have this weird relationship now on LinkedIn. Um, just advice to everybody, stop per my previous email or did you see my previous email or like, I ignored that. I'm going to yeah, ignore this. Yeah. Now you're pissing me off. Now I'm going to hit the spam button. You, you bring up a good um, point. Like, I think all of us are getting more and more spam messages, if you will, and especially the ones that don't make any sense. Like, what would be your advice? Because, right, like... How, how to use LinkedIn in the proper way. Um, like I know just on my end, right? Like I receive um, five to 10 messages a day on LinkedIn. And I would say even out of, out of half of those, <clears throat> the messages don't make sense. The person didn't do any research on me. Um, and so what, what, would, what advice would you give to those people? Or even like your, your SDR starting out trying to figure out LinkedIn and um, with not 5,000 connections. Right. The, the first thing I always um, would, would say to, to BDR is that when we had, when I worked with them, is take, take a breath, take a, a minute. Like, because I'm also, bear in mind, I'm the guy I'm saying, you got to do 80 phone calls a week. Right. So I would say that's low now. It's not but, an unreasonable. Yeah. It's a low yeah. number now. But it's like, or, or, you know, whatever that number comes out to with, with analysis. But you've got to be able to be a little bit respectful and don't just blast everyone. Yeah. Um, one, what is the value to me? And so because my title is uh, Chief Revenue Officer, um, I get a lot of companies who are lead lead um, aggregators yeah. or whatever. Lead like we'll, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll be your, yeah, we'll be your BDRs, right? 
come up with something interesting. Like I, I've yet to have one where I'm like, that's actually an interesting um, proposal. That's an interesting message. Yeah. They tend to be really flighty. Uh, the one I, I'm thinking of right now is I got one, uh, we do some animations on, and so lately I've been working for a company called SageFlow. They do uh, email, uh, a component piece to email, one archiving, and the second is uh, franchises. And so as part of our, our marketing strategy, we've used these animated characters to highlight what we're solving. Okay. This is the thing we're solving, right? They're on the front page of the SageFlow website. Go check them out. They're really cute. Um, my marketing person did it. She's great. Uh, I think the world of her. Um, and then you get a text saying, do you use video for your your <laughs> communication strategy, like for your marketing strategy? It's like, dude, if you had spent like 30 seconds on our website, you would have seen the giant animated right. videos on there. Like, and, and, and I've responded back a couple of times because I, I really feel uh, bad, bad for them that somebody's not telling them this. So I go, hey, listen, I don't mean to sound like an ass, but how about you spend 30 seconds on my website before you waste my time? Yeah. Um, and, and most of the time you get crickets back because they're like, whatever, I got my 160 number that I got or whatever that number is. Uh, and, and they're never going to be successful in sales. Yeah. Like they, they're going to be the guys who go around going like, I work all 24 seven and I'm always, you know, it's like, yeah, you're going to burn out. And you're you're gonna you're gonna be taking a flight on your kid's birthday, done it, and you're gonna say, "What the hell am I doing here?" And and you're gonna go off and, and go to culinary school, right? So, which which is a which is a fine choice to do, right. but the reality is is I've seen so many people in this industry just burn out hard because they they don't have that balance, um, and and they don't. And, and they, they don't recognize that they're just revving the engine on high and not actually being in gear. So you've got to be able to kind of think through, like, if I was a C-suite person who's probably getting 25 points of contact a day on, on LinkedIn and another 25 on my email, because I share my email. I, I'm really open with my, yeah. my, my contact information. Um, and and I and I think I should be because I get really interesting phone calls once in a while, like they really make it all worthwhile. And then other ones where I go, yeah, sorry, I'm not, I'm not yeah. interested. You have an awesome day. I'm gonna hang up now, right? Um, and so it's important to it's important to stay that that open. But when you have that communication on LinkedIn specifically, we'll talk about that for a second. Um, treat that with a lot of respect because the people that are receiving it we'll be able to tell right away whether this is just a mass email or not. Uh, but it is important uh, because we were in the franchise space predominantly at SageFlow, um, we went in and built lists of people based on their, their job description and, and what kind of franchises. So if there are restaurants, we communicated on restaurant issues. If there are fitness, we communicated on fitness. So we personalized our messaging uh, a bit based around some of the parameters. So when they received it, um, it wasn't just a blasting email, bye, bye, bye. It was, 
hey, here's an article in the restaurant franchise news, uh, or and here's here's an article that was in a fitness magazine that you may, may find interesting. Yeah. And by the way, we're a company called SageFlow, and we work with franchises, and you know, and and so we kept it really multiple touches, but tried to keep the tone uh, focused around what their requirements were and what would resonate with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that's kind of the strategy when I when I say marketing and partnership and sales need to be in sync. This is what I get it. What I what I mean by that because I've worked for companies where marketing's off, doing their whole things, and sales is just really um, mean to that. Like it, it, it just boggles my mind when I, I see sales rep go, "Oh, marketing doesn't understand what we do." We go take them out to lunch and explain what we do. Like explain to them that th- their perceptions aren't in line with where the customers are. And if you have a product person who's not in line with where sales is, explain it to them and listen to them to listen to why they're doing what they're doing or why they're thinking what what they're doing. Because you 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 know we in sales we're on that that bloody edge of the sword, and you know we're we're constantly you know hacking away. But the reality is, is somebody who's standing back goes, oh well the. Troops are circling around this way, and we're about to see a, a side assault. And, you know, you're still looking at the front, right? So use military uh, analogies. But the, the reality is that sometimes people have a clearer view of where the world is headed um, than we do. And so it is good to listen and then to speak. Yeah. It, you know, you brought up a funny point, and I think I've run across this in, in my own career um, at these companies where marketing – and there's a misalignment of marketing and sales. Like, why do you think that that happens so often? Uh, communication. Uh, the bigger the company, uh, and I'm going to pick on IBM because pick, pick on them. That's fine. Why not? Yeah. I because, well, and it, it was funny. I was in the sales, the partnership, and the marketing departments at IBM at different points in my career. Part of part of what I did for IBM was. I was a global global marketing evangelist, so we took those small um, events and we we blew them out. I did sixty four um, conferences in ten months over uh, eighteen countries on five continents. I mean, I don't think I'd I want your the, travel remember, schedule, my numbers, but I think I'd want yeah. your points that came along with all that. Oh, <laughs> points were good. <laughs> Yeah, I know. The boys were yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the travel schedule was, uh, I flew my wife and kids out to uh, Sweden and Denmark uh, for a trip just to see them because I, I wasn't home wow. for a whole year. Um, but but part of that with marketing is marketing kind of, they hang out together and they do, you know, so they, they end up having this this internal dialogue that doesn't always include the other parties, especially in bigger companies. In smaller companies, it's harder to do that because, you know, Patricia has her birthday and everyone goes out to lunch, yeah. right? That's those are great companies to work for, where you, you you've got fifty people and everyone kind of you know can go out and 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 celebrate something together. And, and then th- those are really valuable. Um, Silverpop used to do these sales um, internal conferences, and you know. And at the beginning of the year and they brought everyone in. And so you'd have these nonsense seminars, which I kept joke joking with uh, 
with the CEO, like we should just cancel the seminars and just hang out in the bar because <laughs> that's where stuff's getting done. You know, wrong. Uh, we, we actually, we no, well, and we had uh, one year, we, we actually uh, telling tales out of school, but we had a, I think it was $153,000 bar tab um, at one of the sales conferences and, and we were contesting it. I was like, that actually tracks. I don't think they're padding that by too much. Like, yeah, um, they may be off but, by a thousand or two, but they're not too far off. Yeah, yeah. Somebody padded a couple of tips in there, but um, I would go downstairs at two o'clock in the morning because I couldn't sleep, and there'd still be you know people closing out the bar, but they'd be sitting in in little tight groups, like talking about business yeah. and talking about opportunities and trying to figure out. Like, hey, this worked with this client. Can we do something there? And there was people from sales and product and marketing that sitting around a table together. And that, that's really valuable. Like, however you do that. Um, I'm not a big back-to-office fan. I, I really believe I, I've worked remote for 18 years. Um, I really think if you hire disciplined people, you're fine. I think if you implement... Um, good Salesforce strategies or whatever your CRM is, you can track activity and behavior. You know, you don't have to be too creepy about it, but you know, being, being on top of activities, uh, setting expectations around activities. So, you know, you got, you know, how many of the, then the, the, the first call, the second call, the demo, the right tracking those things. You don't, I don't care where you are. If you're sitting on Fiji and you're, you're dialing for dollars. Awesome. I don't care. As long as you can meet the time zone that you're working in, um, and so I, I think, but having those having events where you do bring people together do make sense. So it, it, instead of spending money on on a big office, spend money to send everybody to a town. There right? you go. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be San Francisco where I live, or it doesn't have to be Atlanta where Silver Pop was big. You know, but it, it's economically better if you say, okay, well, 60% of the workforce for Silver Pop is in Atlanta. Let's just have the event in Atlanta. That makes sense, right? But if you go outside of Atlanta, 30, 40 miles, there's some really beautiful resorts that you can take over and just have an event there. And, and Silver Pop used to do that, and it was really beneficial uh, because you would end up with these clusters of people trying to solve problems that you don't always get in a boardroom yeah. because people have like, I got stuff to do, but you kind of shut the company down for, you know, four days and say, we're doing an offsite. Um, you know, everybody come out. It's going to be fun. There's going to be great food. There's going to be plenty to drink. If you drink alcohol, like, you know, and then don't be a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you always have that, that. You always have to add that in there because, that, you know, people forget that even though you're offsite, it's still a work thing, and you always have a couple that it's you, still a work. You thing. always have a couple that fall off the wagon and 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 they don't make it back on Monday morning. Yeah, um, for one reason or another. Yeah, I mean the hor the horror stories. Like we could go on for an hour about you know, uh, pe people who at some point didn't have their parents say. Let me explain how to talk to coworkers. <laughs> because yeah. when you talk to coworkers, they don't have the same back backgrounds. Um, my youngest just started college, and and um, she uses uh, she/her pronouns. She's a trans female, and um, 
they had a um, an event about identity. And I was like, well, that's great. You, you know, you're going to go off. Yes. Like, I know about my identity and <laughs> I, I, I could figure out other people, you know, it's so, but it's like, no, you actually in the workplace have to have these educational things. And um, I was talking with a, a good friend and we kind of came up with a theory that after COVID, um, so really quick, my biological dad and his wife have a ranch up in Northern California, up in the mountains. I won't say what they grow, but it used to be very uh, financially uh, solid. <laughs> it's no longer a good, a good business to be in. So they're in the sheep business. Okay. That's what we say in the family. Um, <laughs> but when they bought the property, there was two horses on it and the horses were uh, feral. And I didn't realize this was a thing. And my stepmom was explaining it to me when a horse who's been broke um, is left alone for between six months and two years, they become feral again. They become a wild horse again. And you have to re-break the horse. Um, didn't know it was a thing. Learned something new. That was awesome. I'm convinced we as a society have become feral. And I see this more and more when you're out in public where people just have forgotten. You use all these videos of people on air, airplanes, you know, being nuts yeah. and screaming at people and people feeling that they have the right to yell at people. Um, as I say, you know, my youngest, um, and my youngest is six foot eight. So it's really, it's not like she's skimming in like <laughs> as, no. as a, you know, as a, as a trans woman, right. You know, like people are like, Hmm, I'm confused. Um, and, and she's, she, and she's growing a beard and you know, whatever. And, um, we're in the, in the market and, um, we're at target buying all the, the, the stuff. And I just saw this look on somebody's face as they walk by. And the only, I'm convinced the only reason that person didn't say anything is because they saw a six foot eight trans woman and then a six foot eight big bear dad behind who was eyeballing them. And, and I was thinking, what is wrong with people at this stage where they feel compelled that they can say something to somebody else? Uh, so, and, and, and that, and that translates back into work, right? Because if you feel comfortable saying nasty things to people in public, chances are you're going to say something nasty in the work environment. And so we, we do almost have to have this re-education campaign within work where we explain to people like, Hey, people are different than you are. Uh, it's okay that they're different than you are. Just kind of let it go unless it becomes actively aggressive against you right yeah. uh, so anyway so uh, work work is work is very fraught and uh, we we have to be conscious of yeah that. i love that I'll leave it at that and, you know you bring up a good point and you know around other people and uh un- like just understanding and having that uh, just of, of an understanding and also like appropriate things to say in the workplace like how do you foster a culture of continuous improvement you know, especially, especially in this remote environment. Sure. Um, and I actually really love that question, by the way, because sales and personal development, professional development are iterative processes. And I think a lot of people never got that memo. Like they always kind of go, okay, I'm 25 and I'm a fully baked human being. (laughs) And like, this is it. This is the person I'm going to be till the day I die. It's like, no, you're really not like, Hey, I'm 55. And I am a very different person than I was five years ago and a very different person than I was 25 years ago. 
and, and I, I think of the things I said and did when I was 25 and I go, Oh, thank God social media wasn't around. <laughs> thank, <laughs> right. thank God my, my good deeds have outweighed my bad. And, you know, like, uh, I, I really do feel for young people and, that are coming up through the work environment, but part of it is we, we have to have these, we have to have frank conversations. And I think this is one thing that, that has suffered, um, with everyone being conscious of other people's differences is there's like, Oh, well, we don't want to say that, um, uh, we don't want to tell people what to do. And the reality is you, you kind of have to have, here's our code of conduct and it has to actually have some meat to it. Yeah. Uh, too many of these things I see, uh, too many training videos. One of the, one of the things I was actually really happy with, um, uh, Sage Flow has a mandatory, uh, sexual harassment and, um, inclusion and, and all these different programs as part of our, our, our employment. And we, we have to do it every couple of years. And I, I think it's great. Um, I was actually really happy to see that the sexual predator in the, the HR video was a female. <laughs> and I say that seriously because I've encountered it. I've encountered those females who felt perfectly comfortable commenting on things that made me uncomfortable. Like, I'm a, as I say, I'm a big guy and, and I've been married for almost 30 years. But it's like, wow, you... You just said those words out loud at work. It definitely goes both ways, for oh, sure. Yeah, it definitely goes away. Yeah. And and I grew up in an environment where I couldn't go to HR. I didn't feel comfortable going to HR because if I went in and said, "Yeah, uh, Mary just said X, Y, and Z," and that made me feel uncomfortable, that doesn't play really well in in at that that time i think today it may play differently and somebody would say oh okay well we're going to go talk to mary 10 years ago they would not have talked to mary and i think yeah. that's important so i think the inclusion goes both ways but at your question as to how to to train people part of it is just to spend time with people and part of that um i had uh, my first team at at um at um lyris I, I called my uncle who had been a headhunter. And when I say headhunter, he would be brought into a company and he would fire 15 people and he'd hire 15 people and he'd yeah. move. He, he was predominantly in the um, tool and die business. And so he'd move machines around and figure out what's the most, the optimal <laughs> workflow for manufacturing. Yeah. So, um, and I called him up and I was like, hey, listen, I just got this management job. Like, what should I be doing? And he said, talk to everybody. Yeah. And when you talk to people, don't talk to them, listen to people is, you know, we, we tend to, we tend to express our opinions, especially when we're management 100%. and ask them, how do you, how do you work? How do you think? How do you plan on doing this? And then listen to them and then go, okay, well, this is how I would like things to be tracked in Salesforce or in NetSuite or whatever can we meet somewhere in the middle and you're going to do this uh, too many companies I've worked for. And this is one of my pet peeves is somebody reads a book or somebody hears a seminar and then they're like, this is it. This is, <laughs> this is how we're going to sell. This is the best optimized sales strategy in the history of people. Yeah. And it's like that sales methodology is really interesting, but isn't it derivative of how to make friends and influence people? Like, <laughs> Because everyone is. Mm -hmm. So it's like, read that. And then, 
pay attention to, you know, like ask, ask people how they're doing things and incorporate this. I had a great sales rep um, and he wasn't performing. He was, his numbers were bad yeah. and I was metric driven and I was like, and so finally I sat him down and I was like, okay, listen, I think you're great. I think you could be a really top salesperson. Mm -hmm. Why aren't you doing well? And what are you doing sitting outside for two hours a day? I have management ask me why one of my salespeople is sitting, we had a little Redwood Grove outside of the office. And he's like, why is your sales rep sitting on talking on the phone in the Redwood Grove? I was like, talk to me, explain, explain. And he's like, I can't concentrate with this many voices because we had that stupid open floor plan mm -hmm. thing where everyone's talking over everyone and it sounds like you're in a call center. So I had an, an office with a door that I never used because I, I wanted to be out in the mix. I wanted to hear what everyone was yeah. saying and, and go, oh, that's a good line. I'm going to tell everyone to start using that line or that's, you know. And so I say, oh, go sit in my office. Oh, I don't want to sit in your office. and people think I'm a manager. I don't care. Everyone knows that you're just a sales yeah. guy who's working his ass off. Like if you're sitting over there, you're sitting in the, the forest, you know, I don't care. But at least management will stop asking me why you're sitting outside. Yeah. Uh, and he was like, well, it's peaceful. But anyway, so his numbers went up because he had a quiet place to work. That's how his brain worked. Yeah. And so it's really important to sit down with each one of your salespeople and understand as a human being, um, how do you think? How do you work? And then within that, how do I get you to incorporate the, the things that I need you to do? I need you to make 85 phone calls a week. I need you to get three demos a week. I need you to, you know, how do I get you there? And part of that, uh, getting back to your LinkedIn profile, I think it's really important that each salesperson is their own brand. And I, and I think it's incredibly um, important to, uh, to, to create content. So one of the rules with, with LinkedIn is uh, four things a week, right? And so we were doing that over uh, at SageFlow and we started seeing our numbers just climb up nice and steady yeah. and our engagement on our website, um, our, our, our positioning on Google. Uh, we're a really niche product. We we're like the, the oil company, right? There's 500 people who need our product. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a thousand. I don't need to get in front of every single retailer in America because 98% of them don't need me, right? So you have to understand who is my client, where are they reading, what are the things that are going to resonate with them, and then create your own brand on LinkedIn that speaks to that. Create content. Uh, we, we, we waste, I, I'm, I'll count myself in there, I waste time creating content on Facebook and LinkedIn. I find it amusing. I have whatever, 500 friends, people who, who I know their name and who they are and what they do and what their kids' names are, right? Versus the 5,000 I have on LinkedIn. But we have to kind of treat LinkedIn the same. We have to kind of feed the beast yeah. so that LinkedIn rewards are feeding the beast by putting us higher up on the, the homepage for people because we're, we're actively doing things that are getting creating engagement, which is LinkedIn's whole business, yeah, right? Yeah. 
So LinkedIn takes sorry. a big part of that, right? I, you know, as we look at LinkedIn being the largest business platform, um, especially a networking platform, I think, right? Like there's only less than 1% of creators are just the user base on LinkedIn creates content. And so when you do create content, LinkedIn rewards you. And that is the name of the game, right? And so when you're trying to share yeah. your message or, you know, what I found is it changes the way people think about you as well. Right. If, if you're a salesperson and you're not just posting about your product, right, you turn more into a thought leader in the space. And so when they meet with you, you're not just the salesperson from ABC company. You're hey, you're a thought leader in this space. And this is the reason why we're going to this is the reason they're going to work with you. And this is the reason that um, they even took the meeting is, you know, you're not just trying to sell them something, but more of a um, <clears throat> of a leader in the space for sure. Well, and, and that reminds me <clears throat> when I was with IBM um, and I was doing that year, the year of crazy travel. Yeah. Um, one of my one of my strategies was because they're, they're basically like, hey, can you be in Sydney on Tuesday? Sure, I'll be in <laughs> Sydney on Tuesday. Do you have anything in Melbourne on Thursday? Oh, yeah, yeah, we have another conference there. Okay, awesome. And then I call the sales team in Melbourne and Sydney and say, I'm going to be in Sydney on Tuesday and Melbourne on Thursday, Friday. And then I'm going up to uh, Bali day. <laughs> yeah, true story. Um, and then they like, oh, awesome! We got a we got this jeans company that's uh, we're we're in talks with. I'm going to do a lunch. Cool, great! I'm free for lunch. So I go in Friday, uh, have lunch with the jeans guys, and when the IBM rep would say, "Well, this is Pericaro. We flew him in from San Francisco to talk to you. He's he's also at a conference, but he wanted to talk to you about." Uh, integrating your email campaigns to be able to to integrate into this data source and be able to optimize who you're, you know, the met individual of personalized messaging for your clients and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I had just gotten fed on the way over to the meeting by the sales rep in the cab going, okay, we, we need to push this, we need to push this, we need to push this. And I go, well, you know, obviously you need to do A, B, and C. And oh my God, that's, that's so funny. That's what Frank was saying we should do. And it's like, yeah, no shit. Yeah. He just told me what to say, right? <laughs> but because I had this fancy title, people just kind of went, oh, I guess that's true. So the jeans manufacturer is now an IBM client. Yeah. Um, and, 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 uh, and, and I feel disingenuous for doing it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I, it, was, it was part of the sales process. And it was that, that piece that I really enjoyed, right? Because you're getting, you're solving the client's problems. And, that, and ultimately... Uh, getting kind of back to sales 101, your job is not to close business. Your job is to is to solve problems. And if you if you if you don't approach it, if you approach it from a, a, a strictly how many contracts do I close, you may do fine. Like you you may, but you're not gonna you're not gonna be known in the industry as a person to call. Yeah. And I've gotten so many calls from people who said, "Hey, can I get so and so to call you because they're having X Y and Z problems." And I think, you know, you helped me with mine. Could you help them with yours? And once in a while, you close those deals. More often than not, they're stuck in a contract for four years and they're not going to be able to get out of it, yeah. right? But at the end of the day, you still have that conversation. And lo and behold, that person leaves the company, goes to another company and calls you up and says, hey, we are desperate. Can you sign a contract with me next weekend? Yes, yes, I can. Yeah. I can do that, right? So it, it all it all comes around, and as long as you're you're out there, you're front of mind, and you're 
you're working with people to, to be beneficial, you're, you're going to do well in this industry. Uh, it's often just a question of having management be patient enough to go, oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> the numbers, are, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, yep. right? Um, and unfortunately, I, I feel a lot of companies in, in the, the marketing space and in the uh, online space have become too transactional driven, like they're too much thinking this quarter versus growing a business long term. But that's just personal yeah. bias. Hey. Uh, we had you on here for personal opinion, so we appreciate you sharing it. <laughs> well, man, I'd love to hear um, what it, advice you have for some sales. Uh, <clears throat> let me back up. I'd love to understand some advice that you have for some aspiring leaders that are coming up in this space um, that want to reach the top, right? Like everybody's shooting for the top, but they don't necessarily know how to get there. Like maybe you can lay some advice on them. Sure. Um, there's two ways to do it. One on the back of your employees. And I, I've seen that. I've seen successful guys who will hire and fire people like they're changing a shirt and it doesn't cause them a minute of internal turmoil. Yeah. Um, or you can, or you can climb with the team. Right. And that, and that's, that's kind of been my goal. So uh, I, I've done really well in this space. I, I, I've, I also sleep really well at night, right? I don't have too many people in my wake who want to stab me in the, the eye if they get the opportunity. Right. Uh, I definitely have people I've worked with where, man, I, I don't know how you sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope you don't believe in karma because like, you're, you're coming back and it's a tapeworm. Um, but it's, it's important as a leader, especially as a young leader, to understand where you want to be in the now and in the future and in the deep future, right? When you're 60 years old, are you going to look back at your career and say, I created a lot of shareholder value or I, I created, and this is, this is something I look back on. I look at the people I've worked with. I don't say work, who worked under me, uh, the people I worked with yeah. and I see their success and that fills me with a lot of pride and with a lot of satisfaction. Um, and it's it's not that you know they did it, they went out and did it, but I was some part of helping them decide when I come to the path in the woods. You know, will I go this way or will I go this way? That's as a leader the best you can do uh, in the long term is create people who are out there doing well. And hopefully uh, I had the nicest um, compliment. One of one of my team members called me up and said, hey, I've just become a manager and I, I want to pick your brain as to what I should be doing and what I should be avoiding. Yeah. And for me, that was a great, great thing to hear because they thought back and went, yeah, that's the guy I want to listen to versus this other person, this other person. Um, and, and that's part of it. You have to, you have to think long-term and unfortunately, we're in a very short-term mindset business uh, where it's, you know, what, what deals are coming in this quarter? And we have to kind of think longer term. But uh, you also have the financial beast that you have to feed and, and those guys demand close deals. So you have to work hard. Um, so my, my advice is, as a leader, learn your people, learn how they work, create structure that they can work within 
and understand the metrics of your business and the business of your business. Um, I was always amazed when um, I started off, and to this day, I you know still do disco calls because I find them to be a lot of fun. My first question is, who do you sell to? Who is your ideal customer? And it's shocking to me how many marketers would say, well, everybody is artists. Really? You sell pantyhose. Yeah, like, yeah. not for nothing, but that, that immediately precludes everyone who doesn't wear pantyhose. That's not everyone. Yeah. So let's, let's identify. Let's kind of... Um, and, and then who is your most successful customer? That's this another one that would often trip people up and they go, well, I have no idea. Well, what? And that goes to us as sales leaders in the B2B space as yeah. well. Who creates success for us as a company? Who should we spend our time on? What What is the most probable closed deal? And what is the most probable long-term successful client for our company and for what we do? And and that's what you, that's the mindset you have to, to get yourself in versus, I think I can get this thing to an opportunity where it can sit for six months and not do diddly squat, but it's going to keep management off my back, right? right? There's a lot of that in the industry. And, and I think it's important for managers to, to understand that and go, okay, well, is this a real deal or is this somebody you talk to twice? Yeah. Like, let's, let's, let's have a little, let's, let's be grownups and have a conversation yeah. and, and try to understand this. And then, you know, is, is this a, I hope they're going to close or, you know, we had a great meeting. They said lovely things about us. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Awesome. Where's the budget? Where's the timeline? <laughs> like, let's get back to fundamentals and yeah. Uh, but yeah, part of that is being a leader is, is really going to be to be an effective part of a team, not, not the person who's at the back, you know, with the, the whip. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. You know, you hit on this a couple of times and, <clears throat> it's really the seek to understand mentality. And I think in all your relationships with your clients, with your team members, you know, in your relationships. And if you take that mentality of I'm going to seek to understand. And once I understand that's going to help me make better decisions later on, the world is going to be a better place. Yeah. yeah. I and, and, and my uncle had the thing where he said uh, when he would do consulting gigs, he'd go in and he said, I talk to everybody. I talked to the janitor. Yeah. He's like, you have no idea what the janitors know at your company. <laughs> and, he, yeah. and he had a janitor who's like, well, I know this guy's an alcoholic because he keeps hiding bottles. And I know this person's <laughs> like this and this and this. And it's like, holy crap, that's like all valuable information. Yeah. Like we can, now we can deal with this. This explains this and this. Um, and he said, I would just regurgitate what these other people had told me back to the boss, but because I had a fancy title, people thought I was a genius, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and partly he was a genius because he listened to people. So that's, that's a lesson I tried to learn uh, in my own career. Yeah, I love that. Well, Pear, we appreciate the time. This is another episode of How the Grades Do It, and we, uh, we appreciate you coming on and talking with us.